You're listening to the Stories of an Unschooling Family podcast, and I'm Sue Elvis. Hi, this is episode 53. And today I've got a number of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about forgiveness, gratitude, making suggestions. I want to share a few things I've discovered this week and also give you a few updates on some of the things that we've been talking about in previous weeks. For some reason, I seem to have lots I want to say at the moment. After having a really dry spell a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden, I've got lots of things I want to share with you. So I hope this episode isn't going to be too long. I guess you could always run it at twice the speed and then it will seem half the time. Have you ever done that? Listened to a podcast at twice the normal speed? I've done that a few times using my iPod, but I heard a few weeks ago that there are podcast listeners who do that all the time. They want to try and listen to as many podcasts as possible. So in order to do that and save time, they listen to them really quickly. So I guess if you think I'm talking too slowly, that's one option. Last week when I was recording episode 52, I told you that it was my daughter Imogen's 21st birthday and we were at home because it was a very hot day. The temperature was nudging 40 degrees Celsius. Well today is totally different. I'm not even sure it has made 20 degrees Celsius today which is rather a relief. We prefer the cooler weather. One of the things we don't like about the hotter weather is bushfire danger. We live surrounded by bush and all over the summer we've got to keep our eye on the the bushfire warnings. Now it's a very beautiful place where we live and I guess it has to be for us to have to put up with the stress of living so close to an area that could all of a sudden go up in flames. But why am I telling you this? Well, at the weekend, after we had that really hot day, I suddenly thought about the fact that we hadn't prepared our house for the bushfire season. It's something everybody should do. It's just sensible to do it. And I guess the hot weather took us by surprise. We hadn't cleared out our gutters and we hadn't trimmed back all the hedges from our house. Down one side of our house, the hedges have grown so much out of control that they were touching um, the house, touching the roof of our house. So on Saturday, my husband said to me, is there anything I can do for you today? And I said, well, you could mow the grass if you like, because it was really rather long and ragged. So he disappeared out the door and mowed the grass. And then when he had finished, I said, while you're out here in the garden, Could you please trim back the hedges? They're touching the house. It's a risk for bushfires. So he spent most of the rest of the day and the day after cutting back hedges. Now, we're not very good gardeners. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of how I went to university and did a botany degree. Yes, for three years, I studied botany. And after that, I did, I think, just over a year's worth of a horticulture course as well. And so everybody expects me to like gardening and to be able to keep plants alive. And I really don't like gardening at all. I don't like getting my fingers dirty and watching things grow. I know a lot of people do and they get a lot of pleasure out of it. 
But for 25 years, I looked after landlords' gardens. They were inspected every six months to see if there was any weeds growing, if I'd kept them in order. And those weeds were the bane of my life. I hated weeding. I didn't like working on somebody else's garden. And now we've got our own house and we've been here seven years. I've done as little gardening as possible. I do like gardens and I do like plants and flowers, but I like to look at them or to walk through them, enjoy them without actually having to put any work into them. But when we moved into this house, we could see over the fence into my neighbor's gardens and I suggested that we grew a hedge. So my husband Andy took me down to a native plant nursery down the road and we came back with little tubes containing native trees. We were assured they would be able to be grown into a hedge. They were only a few centimetres tall when we put them in the ground and they grew and grew and grew. And well, some of them grew well past the house. They turned from a hedge into trees because we didn't think to go out there every year and chop them back to keep them low and keep them well shaped. This is the first year really that we have been out there with the pruner and uh, tried to get control of them again. So yes, I'm not a very good gardener, but these plants, the melaleucas and hakeas, they didn't need my attention. They're natives, they just took off. So we do have big hedges both sides of our house now, which is wonderful because we can't see into the neighbor's gardens. I guess also we don't get much light into our house either because it blocks out all the sunlight, privacy or sunlight. Sometimes it's a difficult decision. But anyway, back to my story. My husband got out his pruner on a big pole and he started cutting back from one side of the house. I had a look at it. He managed to get the hedges away from the house. It looked okay, so he went over to the other side of the house and started again. And by this time, I got involved with editing last week's podcast. And I vaguely remember him coming in and saying, I'm going out the front now to do some pruning of the plants in the front garden. And I sort of just waved him away and didn't think too much of it. An hour or so later, I went out. He said, oh, come and see what I've done. So I went out the front door and had a look, and I got a shock. We used to have a big screening hedge or various different plants in the front of our garden, which gave us a lot of privacy. Nobody could see into our living room windows from the street. And the first thing I said was, what have you done? Where's all my plants gone? We've lost our privacy. You've hacked it to nothing. It looks terrible. And my husband's face just dropped and he put down the tools and he muttered something and disappeared. I thought the best way to avoid an argument about the whole situation was to get the dog and take her for a long walk. So that's what I did. I went down the main fire trail and it goes fairly flat to start with and then it goes steep down, down, down. I took the dog right to the bottom. By the time I got to the bottom, I'd regretted what I'd said to my husband. All these thoughts were going through my head. I was really mean, really unkind. He was only trying to help do exactly what I'd asked him to do. By the time I struggled all the way back up the hill again, I was feeling so full of remorse and so guilty about what I'd done. And so as soon as I got home, I hunted out my husband and I said, I'm really sorry about what I said earlier. 
I know you are doing your best, and anyway, plants grow back. It's not a big deal, and I'm sure that their plants needed cutting anyway. We could have done this years ago. And he grinned at me and said, I was just about to apologize to you, he said. I made a real mess of your hedge. He said, I should have asked you to come out and supervise. Tell me exactly what you wanted. And then we both started laughing, and the tension was over. But it made me think. I'm always saying about forgiving children's mistakes. And I guess I failed the other day, but was it really a mistake? Did I have any reason to get upset in the first place? Things are not more important than people. People's feelings are much more important than hedges. And that hedge will grow very fast. Soon it will be out of control yet again. And I wonder why we sometimes forget and say things which really don't make much sense at all and hurt other people. I think that asking forgiveness is a very positive experience. Sometimes it can be hard to do to back down. Sometimes we might think the person doesn't deserve forgiveness. We want to teach them a lesson. I think a lot of people do this with children, and I used to do it many, many years ago as well. And I've experienced it myself. People don't forgive us because they want to teach us a lesson. And I have found out that even if I'm not sure that I am the one that should be asking for forgiveness, if I go ahead and do ask for that, the other person always backs down and asks for forgiveness too. And then probably we'll have an argument about who needs to be forgiven. But that's okay. It clears the air and soon we're all smiling again at that incident. The other day was put in the past very, very quickly. I also think it's good for our children to see us ask for forgiveness. As I said to my kids the other day, it's all clear now. It's all good. Things are back to normal. And yeah, their tense atmosphere in the house disappeared instantly. I hope our kids will learn to ask for forgiveness when they need to as well. I want to talk about exercise now. I haven't mentioned exercise for a few weeks. Maybe you're glad that I haven't. Eight weeks ago, I started doing a fitness blender workout program. I told you about how I got on with the first week. I came back and I complained about all the pain that I was suffering, how difficult it was. But I also told you I was determined to keep on going. So I'm back to tell you that I finished the whole program. Was it easy? No. <laughs> Some of the workouts were very difficult indeed. There was one which I barely survived, but afterwards... Sophie, my 14-year-old, told me that it was a level 5 workout, which is the highest. She said, Mom, you did a level 5 workout. And so then I began to feel really rather good about that because I did my best to keep up with it, even though it was hard. So all the workouts I did, I did keep up with. I sweated a lot. Um, I had some sore muscles every now and then. And many times I didn't want to even begin because of the thought of the torture ahead. But how do I feel now? Now I feel 
stronger than I did eight weeks ago. I can definitely see an improvement in the strength of my muscles, especially in my arms. My legs are pretty good too, even though I thought they were good before. I'm running better. I feel stronger as I run. I'm running a little bit further. So I'm going a bit faster. And because I'm going faster, I'm going further as well in the same time. So that's good. Will I continue the exercise program? Well, I've been thinking about this very carefully. And I don't really think I have any choice. If I want to keep all that I've gained over the last two months, then I'm going to have to keep on working out. I think I've got well past the hump now. I'm enjoying the workouts, even though some of them are still difficult. I'm keeping up with them all. I'm not dreading them like I used to, but they are hard work and they do take up time. I can only run three times a week if I'm doing three workouts and that leaves only one rest day. So I've exercised six days out of seven for the last eight weeks. And sometimes I just yearn to have another rest day. And I've got to get up and go out regardless because it's on the program. I've got to do it, keep up. But I think I will. I think that on Monday, the day that this podcast is published, I'll be setting out again on another eight-week program. If anybody would like to join me, please do. When I set out on the exercise program eight weeks ago, the only other person doing it with me was Sophie, my 14-year-old. She was the reason I actually started doing them. But as the days went by, Sophie said to me, we should get Imogen to work out with us. She would enjoy doing Fitness Blender as well. And I agreed with Sophie. I thought that this is exactly the sort of challenge that my 21-year-old daughter Imogen would enjoy. So we both said to her, how about joining us, Imogen, doing the workouts too? And she looked at us and said, oh no, I've watched you. It's hard work. I don't want to put myself through all that pain. Now, Sophie was inclined to do a bit of persuading. I told her to hold back. Just take a step back, Sophie. Leave Imogen with the idea. I thought that she would come round in her own time, that she would decide to do the workouts with us, but she would decide when, and she wouldn't do it because we were nagging her. And that's exactly what happened. One day she asked Sophie to find her a workout that she could try out. And now Imogen is doing the eight-week program as well. But of course, she's a few weeks behind Sophie and me. And this experience with Imogen made me think about making suggestions to our children or to anybody. I think it's quite all right to put an idea in front of somebody, even to discuss it a little but if they don't like the idea, then we have to step back and wait. Because sometimes ideas need time to run around someone's head and let them have a think about it. And one day they might say, hey, yeah, I think I will take up that idea. And they actually do it. The timing is everything in their own time. So we can strew an idea and if they don't necessarily respond straight away, it doesn't mean that they're not going to. If you remember, it took me quite a long time to take up Sophie's suggestion of doing Fitness Blender. I did one workout, and that was it for quite a few weeks. While well, I got the courage up and 
decided that yes, I would give the eight-week program a go. I did it in my own time. And Sophie tells me that the two presenters of Fitness Blender, Kelly and Daniel, every couple of weeks, they treat themselves to something, usually food. It's a reward for doing their workouts and eating sensibly for a two-week period, something to look forward to. So after we had done our first two weeks, Sophie and I went up to the cafe up the road and we had a coffee and a milkshake together. We shared a cake. And this was our treat. Now one day Sophie and I were talking about the next time we were going to treat ourselves. Where should we go and what should we have? And Imogen was listening in and we said, Oh look, you'll be able to join us because you'll have done two weeks of your program as well. And Imogen said, You didn't tell me about the treat. You didn't tell me that you treat yourself uh, every two weeks. If I'd known that food was involved, I would have joined you doing these workouts a whole lot sooner. She was only joking and it was really funny and we all laughed, but it is quite true that food is a motivator or maybe just some other kind of reward instead. Now on to something else, coding. Sophie has been coding for the last couple of weeks. She has a test blog, just a spare blog that she uses to try out some of her ideas on. And she has been busy modifying blog templates, making them do what she wants them to do. For example, she was trying to get her blog to have one full post on the homepage plus excerpts of a certain number of other posts. She wanted to make herself a button that said, read more, do the coding for it. Various other things that she has been either writing the code for from scratch, because she has done a coding course, or modifying other people's codes. Doing a little bit of Googling, finding some code for a particular feature, having a look at it, then she understands what each of the lines says, and then she modifies it, playing around. And she's been having a great time and learning a lot. The only problem is she has spent so much time coding and blog designing that she hasn't done an awful lot else. She's finished her NaNoWriMo novel. So I haven't had a lot of notes in my notebook again. If you listen to my podcast or read my blog, you know that I keep Evernote homeschool records. And yes, there weren't an awful lot of notes there. And I said to Sophie, I'm not sure what you're doing. I know you're doing a lot, but I need some notes in my notebook. And then I had an idea. I share my notebooks each week with Gemma Rose's Eleven and Sophie. They have access to the notebooks. They can add their own notes in amongst mine. So I said, look, you're the one who knows what you're doing. Why don't you put the notes into the notebook for me? And so this is what she's been doing. Every time she works out another bit of code, she takes a screenshot of her blog, and then she has been annotating it. This was her own idea. She's been adding circles and arrows and words to explain exactly what she's been doing, which is a great help for me. And then she's been inserting these screenshots into the appropriate notebook. So I've got lots of notes in my notebook this week after all. Most of them say coding, 
design, digital media. But that's okay because after Christmas, when we get right back into homeschool record keeping, she might have moved on to something else, and I might have a whole heap of notes labelled science, maybe. So that's just another way that Evernote notebooks can be used for homeschool record keeping, sharing them with our children so they can keep their own records and we can add our own notes in and be aware of what our children are doing so that we can fulfill homeschool registration requirements. a story about my husband now. He came home from work the other day with a very early Christmas gift. Now, Andy is a school teacher, a primary school teacher. He teaches year two. And the other day, he was given a gift from a parent of one of his students. It was in a lovely presentation box. And when he opened it and shook it out, it turned out to be a high-vis vest, a fluorescent yellowy green colour. The special thing about it was the words on the back. They said, caution, awesome teacher on duty. And the parent had had this vest made especially for my husband in gratitude for what he had done for her daughter all year at school because it's almost the end of the school year here in Australia. The fourth term My husband has had his class now for almost 40 weeks. But that wasn't all there was to the present. There was a poem inside the box as well. The mother had composed it herself, and it was full of praise for Andy and what all he'd done for her daughter through the year. It was very touching, and I don't think he could believe what he'd been given Not many people would compose a poem for you and get a present like that made especially for you, especially a student's parent, maybe a friend, but not somebody that he didn't really know. Because of this gift, I've been thinking about gratitude and how it can be very encouraging when people tell us that we've made a difference in their lives. And we don't often do that, or maybe we don't do it often enough. We don't take the time to send a message to someone saying, I really did appreciate what you did for me the other day, or thank you for doing such and such, or I'm really glad that you're my friend, or thank you for sharing my post on Facebook, you're always doing it for me, things like that. Even stopping by someone's blog and saying, thank you for that post, I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you for sharing your experience. It made a difference to me. And I'm thinking as the end of the year approaches that I want to write some notes to people or some emails or some blog comments and express my gratitude for things that people have done or just the people they are, the people that they've been for me this last year. When I used to be a breastfeeding counsellor and trainer, we were encouraged to write thank you notes It was pointed out to us that thank you notes are a great encourager. And it was true. Someone just scribbled a little note to us saying, thank you for that session that you ran for us last week. And then I felt very encouraged to go on and prepare the next month's 
session. And talking of gratitude reminds me of a book. I haven't read the book. One of my friends recommended it, but I haven't actually got around to buying it or reading it. But I've heard it's very good. It's called 365 Thank Yous. The Year a Simple Act of Gratitude Changed My Life. And it's written by a person called John Kralik. I think the story goes that he was in a very low period of his life, maybe feeling sorry for himself and feeling a little bit hopeless. And he decided that he would write a note every single day of the year to somebody to thank them for something. And so that's what he did. At the end of the year, his life had changed. So maybe that's a book that we all could read. Now in the week, I made two new videos and they're on my YouTube channel. I haven't made a video for a long time, but what I did this time was I took last week's podcast episode, episode 52, Getting Older, Unschooling and Moving On, and I took two excerpts from that podcast, one for each video, and then I found some photos to use as backing tracks added an intro and an outro, and I had a video. Well, two videos. They're both under five minutes long, and I've made them for people that might just like a snippet of my podcast to listen to. Not everybody has the time to listen to 30 minutes or more of a podcast, so I guess it's for a new audience. Just one idea out of a podcast. And then if people are interested after watching the video, I've left details on the video of where they can find the full episode. Now the ones I made this week are called, Should We Encourage Our Kids' Ideas Even When They Seem Impractical? And the other one, Not Just For Kids, Why Learning Is For Everyone. You might recognize those ideas from last week if you listened. Talking of videos, I've had a new idea. I haven't put all my old ones into practice yet. That's the thing about ideas. You have one idea and then you have hundreds of them or you don't have a single one. So you have too many or not enough. I'm in a period where I'm having lots of ideas. And this idea has to do with my kids and videos. Could I make short videos of my children answering particular questions to do with unschooling. Just one question and see what they come up with. Film it and then make it into a video. Questions such as, will kids work hard if no one pushes them? Should kids be made to do chores? Can you learn to spell without being taught? Can you make kids learn something they're not interested in? Are computer games a waste of time? Usually when I ask this type of question to my children, they have lots to say about it. And sometimes I think the best way to learn about how children learn is to go to the source, go to our children, observe them, ask them questions and to listen carefully. We might have our own ideas about how unschooling works, but we can learn most by observing our own children not by reading experts or having our own ideas about it. Yes, yeah, very interesting listening to children talk about their own learning. 
they certainly got some strong opinions, which is probably just as well because it's their education. Have I got time to talk about one final thing? I hope so, because one thing I found in the week was a new blog and podcast series that I'd like to share with you. One evening, I decided to do some googling about podcasting. How could I make my podcasts better? Well, I ended up on a blog called Pro Blogger, and I found an episode where the presenter talks about the first fifty episodes of his podcast. And what he'd learned about podcasting by doing those fifty episodes. I made a similar one, I think, round about episode forty. Now the presenter is called Darren Rouse. He's an Aussie like I am, though he sounds very different. He probably has a very different style as well. Of course, he's talking about a completely different topic. But listening to his podcast, we were in agreement about one big thing, and that is. That editing podcasts takes a lot of time. Sit down here, recording for half an hour, up to an hour maybe, but the big work is in editing it, getting it to sound right, putting the music on, ah,、uh, getting it to flow, chopping out all the mistakes. Now, Darren Rouse, he's made about sixty-five, maybe sixty-six episodes. I'm not sure, but he has been podcasting for a lot less time than I have. He has made so many episodes because, for the first thirty-one days of his podcasting, he made a podcast, one podcast per day, thirty-one days, and his first thirty-one days makes up a podcast series. It is actually a podcast version of a blog series that he wrote. It's called Thirty-One Days to Building a Better Blog. He's not podcasting every day now, but he does do, I think. Two episodes a week. He's also not editing them himself anymore. He's given that job to somebody else. Anyway, I've been listening to this podcast. I've only got through, I think, the first four podcasts in the series. I went straight back to number one and started listening. But every day he has a call to action, something that we can do to improve our blogs. So I've been making a few notes about ideas that I could try out on my own blog. So if anybody else is a blogger, you might like to go over to Pro Blogger and listen to those podcasts as well. Or as I said, they are in blog form as well. You can read the posts. He has a lot of links in his、uh, notes. I haven't followed up all those links, but it seems to be a wealth of information about blogging. I didn't really learn anything new about podcasting, but yes, I might improve my blog if I don't improve my podcasts. Now, Darren Rouse always has a call to action, as I said, something that the listener can go away with, can go off and do, something that might help them in whatever they're doing. I don't know if my podcasts have anything in them that is helpful. But maybe I should have a call to action section as well. So maybe after my usual roundup sessions, where I tell you where you can find the notes and where you can subscribe to this podcast, I should add a couple of things that we have talked about that you could go off and do. So perhaps it is time to finish up my podcast. 
to say thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope that you've enjoyed it. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to my podcast through iTunes or follow it through Podbean or just follow along with my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, where I embed it every week. You can also come over to my blog and leave a comment. So I'm going to put a few notes on my blog to do with this podcast. I'll put the link to that book, 365 Thank Yous. So that's something we could all do, isn't it? We could all write a few thank you notes, or at least pick up the phone and say thank you to somebody, leave a blog comment, or maybe send someone an email or a Facebook message. We could all listen to the Pro Blogger podcast and improve our blogs. I could send you over to my YouTube channel to have a look at my videos. And if you're interested in real life maths, this is something we talked about last week. You could visit Pinterest and have a look at my unschool maths board because I've put a few new pins on there. Yeah, I went searching for some real life maths. I found some really interesting infographics about the Christmas season. So maybe that's something you could do if you're interested in that topic. I can't think of anything else that I could suggest you do, except uh, make suggestions to your children and then wait and see what happens. Now, talking about gratitude, I'd like to say another big thank you for anybody that listens to my podcast, and especially to those people who come over to my blog and leave me encouraging comments. It really does make all the difference, and it encourages me to think of what I'm going to talk about in the next episode. The next episode. I hope to be back next week with that episode. But until then, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.